So good evening, everyone. Welcome to our little class on Bhaktyaloka, the things that are favorable to the cultivation of devotional love and the things that are unfavorable. So this evening we will be discussing the last two things in the second verse of Upadesha Amrita, Nectar of Instruction by Rupa Goswami, of the six items that are unfavorable to developing a devotional attitude and devotional consciousness and intelligence and everything related with that, which is our true calling. If we have been blessed by someone who has some taste, some ability to uh, to have a relationship with the Supreme, then we can be brought into that by extremely good fortune. So we've discussed four items which are not favorable. Achahara, Priyasas, Cha, Prajalpa, Niyamagraha. So this evening we're going to start with Janasanga, Jalauyam Cha, two items. Janasanga, we're going to discuss in Laoyam. Janasanga's association with worldly-minded people. Laoyam is greed. And in the context of this verse, uh, the Laoyam is not the greed that we need to cultivate to develop our spiritual life, but uh, the greed that comes from bad association uh, and uh, a greed that uh, is not favorable uh, to devotional life. So our good fortune is good association. Good association is what nurtures us. What's what even gives us the opportunity to engage in devotional service. And uh, we've covered this so extensively, but uh, repetition of a good thing is worth repeating. So understanding how extremely fortunate one is just to be blessed by the association of Krishna's devotees is uh, is in of a, in and of itself quite noteworthy. Uh, most people don't even recognize the good fortune that's there. So therefore, their entrance into the path of bhakti is through what is uh, referred to as nata sukriti, meaning that they have no knowledge of the good fortune that they have received in the beginning. They, unfortunately, material nature does not give us uh, the discrimination the fine discrimination, the power to discriminate between what is good association and what is bad association. Uh, so we do not know the value of good association and we don't know the harm that can come to us by bad association. Maybe, maybe that's an overstatement. Maybe we have a little knowledge that bad association can... Uh, can be detrimental. Sometimes we care about that knowledge and sometimes we simply ignore it. Um, from youth, 
the parents are always don't hang out with the wrong crowd and those kind of things. And sometimes we're uh, we're following, and sometimes, well, if that's where my parents don't want me to be, there must be something enjoyable there that I'm missing, so I must go and see what I'm missing. <laughs> so, uh, so association. Everything in our life is centered around this association. Uh, Krishna deals rather extensively with that uh, in discussing knowledge in Bhagavad Gita when he was explaining to Arjuna and he understands association and he he discusses association in relationship with the different modes of material nature so he he, he explains how the modes of ignorance, passion, and goodness affect how we interact with the with the material world, and if uh, according to how heavily these different influences uh, bear upon our activities. Um, to that extent, uh, our intelligence, and factually everything that we do within material nature is uh, affected. And he classifies all activities that we generally see in our life uh, according to those modes and how those modes influence the outcome of those activities in our life. So he talks about sacrifice in the mode of goodness and passion and ignorance and charity in the mode of goodness and passion and ignorance and uh, well there's nothing much that he doesn't discuss in relationship to the modes of material nature. He lays it all out there and he says how these modes affect our involvement and how the result is affected by the mode that we're in. So uh, charity in the mode of ignorance doesn't doesn't come back to you. It's it's a waste of time. It's a waste of your energy to put your charity into that mode of nature. Uh, charity in the mode of passion is passionate to begin with we give to receive and then we have charity in the mode of, of goodness where we give to advance or we give even above giving to advance to have a higher purpose to feel something uh, have something that affects us positively uh, is a giving where there's no expectation of return. So that kind of giving, that's then we're then we're coming to the purity of the mode of goodness, Sudha Sattva. We're getting practically out of goodness and into a transcendent consciousness. Now of course the devotees 
outlook on transcendent consciousness and the trans the Gyanis outlook the impersonalist outlook is different they have a different outlook so uh, the devotee looks upon the Gyani or the person wanting simply to be liberated from material existence to say I don't get it what's the difference between that desire for subtle enjoyment or a removal of gross pain uh, what's what's it still seems to me that that's not a lot different from being involved in the modes of material nature it's nice to be able to say well I'm not going to be influenced by karma I'm going to give up karma I'm going to I'm going to purify my myself by knowledge because that's their primarily primary method of purification is by gaining knowledge sankhya of what is matter and what is spirit and how matters work and what is matter and uh, you know the, how do the elements come together to form an environment how have I my consciousness how has my consciousness come into contact and matter and by affecting that matter through my consciousness I've come to a situation where now I'm like caught in a spider's web how did I do this so they analyze well let me see what the heck's going on here how did this happen well let's see what's the subtlest element oh that sound and then sound what what sound what's the what's the object what's the sense the sense is hearing so the hearing and the sound and well and he, they just go through the elements and they they break them apart to their lowest common denominator and they figure it out how the senses interacting with the sense objects create an entanglement for the consciousness well I don't want that entanglement because that entanglement is it involves a situation where there's pleasure and there's pain and it's a cycle and so they this is all the knowledge of the Gyani they're working they're working to understand this very very carefully and by gaining that knowledge and understanding how the material nature is working upon their consciousness they seek to break it down and do away with it so through their brain they think well I can end my karma knowledge and if I have enough knowledge I can know how to not get involved with, with material activities to the extent that I can attain liberation from the material nature so this is their objective and they're very good at it but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, for them to attain that liberation are there actually societies of people that are doing this? absolutely yeah 
Kumla Mela. They got all kinds of different worshippers wanting to go to heaven and wanting to be liberated. And she, I mean, there's there's all these classes of transcendentalists. In the Western world, we're not very accustomed to that. We don't see that. In that culture, it's all over the place, and there's different degrees and different varieties of everything from karmakanda to, to the yoga practices to the you know the, the Vedantins uh, so all these things are there in their uh, you know in that culture yes absolutely so there are those impersonalists Brahmavadis absolutely all over the place in India um So we have a hard time relating with it. We just, the, the, the bhakti tradition is such that we have a hard time relating to this desire for liberation as being something that's not just the opposite side of the desire to enjoy. Let me give up the enjoyment and let me become liberated might be a higher goal but for the bhakta it's like why would you want that in fact the bhaktas truthfully speaking would rather be in the with the in the material realm than have, wiping their consciousness clean like the jnanis do so that there's no material attachments they'd rather be associated on this side with something that's devotional than be on that side and associated with something that's nothing. They, they, they have no attraction for that. So they have a hard time relating. So we don't speak very highly of this class of transcendentalist. Um, which brings us to one of their subjects tonight, Sangha, association. So we, we talk about the association, the unbeknownst to us association of, of the bhakta, and even without our knowledge, we're being positively influenced by the Lord Swarup Shakti. His Shakti is coming to us. We don't even know what, don't even know it. And it's over lifetimes a little bit here and a little bit there and there's immense benefit to us. How immense is the benefit? Well, it reminds me the the, uh, the pastime of Krishna pulling the lizard out of the well. What's his name? His name when he came out and accepted his, re-accepted his form was uh, Nurga? Nurga. Nurga. So, he was simply a pious man and he was a man who was following karmakanda not in a small way in the biggest way how big well he even told Krishna he said you must have heard of me <laughs> no one's given more cows and charity than I have you should know who I am so And we find out the backstory. Why did, what, how did this personality 
that had no spiritual he had no none of this nothing he had no desire for spiritual bhakti he was not a bhakta he didn't have any desire to be a bhakta he didn't even know a bhakta from somebody that wasn't a bhakta he was simply a pious king who wanted to attain heavenly delights by giving in charity to brahmins that was his thing and somehow or other the cow walked from one herd to the other and he'd given it then and then he gave it again and then all hell broke loose because these Brahmins, hey, you don't want to cross them. They got a lot of power, a lot of mystic opulence. And he gave and there was some argument. He said, oh, don't worry about it. Listen, here, I'll give you, don't worry about this one cow. All right, we'll just set set this one cow apart, and here I'll give you that many cows again, another hundred lakhs of cows. Who knows? Just unlimited. No, I want that cow. That's the cow you gave me. I want it. And the other Brahmins, no, you gave me the cow, and he's like, oh now, now what can I do? I can't do anything. He's cursed. He's cursed. He ends up a lizard in a well and Vraj. Well, that's not too bad. <laughs> We're like, wow, if we could get that curse, uh, you know, uh, I'll go splash water on the Brahmins myself. But <laughs> the point being, <laughs> we hear the backstory. How did he get there? Well, in giving to cows, somewhere along the way, he gave a cow to one of Krishna's devotees, or a herd of cows. Mm. And that enough, that was enough for him to get audience and be saved by the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his life became perfect. Ajnata Sukriti. Was there a desire on his part? No. He just wanted to go to heaven. He just wanted the results of giving away cows. He was, he was, I'm the biggest cow giver there is. And, but still, somehow or other, some good association. So, in this verse, we're talking about Janasanga, that Sangha that's not good for our spiritual advancement. And, of course, the transcendentalists, they Bhakti Vinod in his Bhakti Loka, in reviewing this particular, this essay that he wrote, reviewing this particular um, item which is not favorable for developing our, our spiritual uh, life, um, he touches on a few things. But what I came away f- with after reading this three or four times was the fact that he, he stresses one particular type of association which is the worst. Of course he touches upon all the, the standard bad association for the, for the tran- one seeking transcendental life. Mayavadis and atheists, uh, sense enjoyers, those that even like to hang out with sense enjoyers. Because if you hang out with them, eventually the association is going to get the better of you. So, 
the Mayavadis were those those are number one. They're at the top of the list. Those are the worst. Then we have the sense enjoyers. And then we have hanging out with people that hang out with sense enjoyers. So we're a couple removed because if you hang out with them, you yourself are gonna work up work up to that. It's just gonna happen. Uh then he says women or men, men for women, women for men, uh, uh, womanizers, manizers. I don't know. Is that the right word, manizers? <laughs> I've heard of Budweiser's. <laughs> like a buddy. <laughs> All right, forget it. Uh, then he brings up the hypocritically devout. He stresses that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then the seventh is the ill-behaved, foolish outcast. But he stresses this, the hypocrite. And there's a particular name that these individuals uh, are given in Sanskrit. Dharma Dwajis. Dharma Dwajis. The hypocritically devout one should give up their association with special care. He goes on to say, in this regard, better to associate with the sense gratifiers, gratifiers than to associate with these individuals. So what's the nature of them? What is their nature? They're of two types. They're hypocrites and there's fools. The cheaters and the cheated. So we've heard this term from Prabhupada. Uh, he used to say it quite often, the cheaters and the cheated. And this is probably where he got it from Bhakti Vinod's writings. And Bhakti Vinod's referring here to these Dwama Vad Dwa Dharma. Vadi, Vajis, Wajis, Dharma Wajis, I think. The hypocrites and the fools, or the cheaters and the cheated. Such hypocrisy as Gyanakanda, so we've discussed this pretty elaborately, Gyanakanda, Karmakanda, uh, is also condemned. In devotional service, this kind of hypocrisy ruins everything. Another third thing, we're trying to culture a serving ego and in comes these desires for liberation, for gyan, and these desires for, uh, for reciprocation, karma, to get something in return for our service. Um, but he says these Dharma Dwajis, they, they act like devotees. They dress like devotees. They put themselves forth as devotees. But they really have no devotion for the Supreme Lord. They, they don't get it. But they're willing to in order to fulfill their crooked desires, 
come into the association of the devotees. And uh, But in that association, they only create a disturbance. Because they still have these this desire for for wealth, women, false prestige, and material assets. So it's a it's a very cheating mentality, and because devotional service is is so much centered around good association that when these individuals come into the sangha. Of Krishna's devotees, they can they can wreak havoc. Um, how do they wreak havoc? They they simply create a disturbance in that society um, because well, none of us, none of our hearts are pure when we begin our devotional practice, but they culture the worst aspect and. Therefore, they're they're able to adversely affect uh, weaker devotees. Why don't they get purified? Well, Bhakti Vinod, in his discourse here, he mentions there is the possibility that they will get purified in that association. But it's a matter of intent. Our intent plays so much into our devotional practice that if their intent, especially if they're especially Mayavad. It's very hard for someone who, who has that tendency to give it up. Uh, it's a fact. If they hear and if they receive some merciful dispensation from more advanced devotees, yes, it's, you're right. They can become purified and he deals with that. But we're talking about a place in Rupa's directions where he's telling us how to get through this stage of sadhana bhakti. So we're bhakti Vinod in commenting on that is really giving advice to who? Well, to the neophyte. The neophyte is is one that's engaged in sadhaka. Once you get to devotional service and practice once you're past the practice and you're you're in bhava these things are of little consequence you're not going to be pulled away because you're you're so strong i mean even if you get to the stage of ruchi then najanam nadanam sundarim kavitram so you have no desires you don't even care for liberation so but in the very beginning we're we could be easily influenced by bad association so there's that verse uh, devotional service that's not conducted in accordance with the regulative principles uh, Pancharatra Vidhi 
uh, is simply a disturbance in society. But it, it's mostly centered on what's our intent, what's our desire, yes. So what's the difference? I'm trying to distinguish between them and like a mixed devotee. A mixed devotee is someone who still has material desire. That's that's okay. Now we'll go. We're, that's the next thing we're going to discuss. Those are those we can associate with. Those people are good for us. And how do you tell the difference? Yeah. Well, that's fine discrimination, isn't it? That's why in the sangha, and he Bhaktivinoda says this: unless you have association with the sadhus, which you know are more advanced in devotional service than yourself, better to do your devotional service by yourself. Mm. He's very strong in that regard because you don't have the discrimination, discriminating power. Now, when we come in contact with those sadhus, well, there's little... We can't ignore... You can't say, well, maybe he's not really a saw. You know, your heart, you know in your heart, this is, this is, so those people, they can help. They can give us the discrimination until we've developed the discrimination power ourselves. In the beginning, if there's a question, if our intelligence is, is way, then, then Bhaktivin Ode's saying, well, better you just, you walk away. Better you practice by yourself until you have that strong discrimination. Now we don't have that problem right now. We have societies of devotees and those societies have enough people that have the right motivation that, you know, uh, even, if they're a, even if they're a little weak. But no, still, even we see maybe there'll be a, a, a group here or a group there where a small temple, small group of devotees and the leadership is, is there's no strong true spiritual leadership yeah we've seen whole temples fall apart collapse the devotees lose their enthusiasm and bad association they can't do their service and uh, uh, they leave so yeah when in question make sure you're with the sadhu that's that's what he's saying uh, make sure to stay in good association now about that other person you just asked about. What about the person that's still affected? And he brings out that verse from the 11th. This is instruction again from Krishna to Uddhava. And he says, uh, I love this verse. It's having awakened faith in the narrations of my glories. Faith in the narrations of my glories. Being disgusted with all material activities knowing that all such gratification leads to misery, but still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, my devotee remains happy and worships me with great faith and conviction. He's not hung up. I know I got material hang-ups. I know I love to enjoy my senses. I know I, this is not going to be good for me. It's not going to come out well, if I, but I, I can't pretend. I don't want to be that hypocritical devotee. I don't want to be that, you know, I'd rather to be a sincere street sweeper in the street than to pretend that I'm more of a devotee than I am. But I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stay in the association of devotees. 
I'm going to continually beg their mercy and hope they don't kick me out the door. I can't give up my sense gratification. I know it's not good for me, but I still want to be a devotee. That's, that's good association. Those are the kind of people you can be around. If they have that sincerity of purpose, again, it's a matter of intent. And that person that's looking like the renunciate, but is still completely attached to the fruits of his position, the fruits of whatever, that's completely overwhelmed by pratista and doesn't really have a desire to advance in devotional life. He will be exposed in due course of time. And the devotional community becomes aware of those kind of people. There's, they cannot remain hidden for long. If we look to the demons, we go back to Krishna's youthful pastimes, and all these demons that Krishna killed were representative of Anarthas. In the, in uh, Bhaktivinoda looked at these and he looked at these pastimes and he figured this out. It's like, whoa, this makes real sense here. So if you look to that uh, discussion of his from uh, <coughs> Chaitanya Shikshamrita, and he, he points out the correlation between the different demons and the different Anarthas, beginning with Putana and going on up. And he says, all these things Krishna sweeps away for his devotees. So a couple demons, though, that Krishna let Balaram dispense. He Balaram said, "These demons, let's take. These were different. These weren't killed by Krishna. They were Krishna. Well, why didn't Krishna kill them? Why did Balaram? Why did he let Balaram deal with them?" And he he looks at these pastimes and he he figures out. Well, actually, these are things that that the devotee himself has to work hard to dispense <clears throat> he can't overcome them but he wants he has to put some effort when he puts in the effort then Balaram will come around the strength of spiritual practice will come and defeat them whereas Krishna just easily dispatched the others these ones of Balaram now one of them one was the one that what Yes, the Nukastora. And the other snuck in when the cowherd boys were playing. Piazzasura. Huh? Piazzasura. Vomasura, I believe, right? Pralumba. Pralumbasura. Pralumba snuck in. Pralumbasura. What was he doing? He was acting like a devotee. Let me sneak in here and I'll, I'll, I'll sneak and I. What can I do? What could what did Pralamba do? He grabbed the devotees and took them off. One by one. Because they were playing cops and robbers in the game. <laughs> Something like that, yes. He used them. Yes. So what's what do these people, these hypocrites do? They come and they steal off. 
people that, you know. So we have to have that much discrimination to not be pulled from our devotional practice by people that have these kind of infected mentalities. For gyan, for karma, for for in the guise of devotees, they're coming and they're creating a disturbance in the community of devotees. And they're trying to pull people away. We have to be careful. We have to pick our company carefully. And when we hear criticism and things in such a way that's really it goes beyond it goes beyond the sangha, the prajalpa that's normally there from our material conditioning it has what? malintent when we see malintent then our radar needs to go up we need to distance ourselves from that kind of thing it can be very very uh, very bad for us. Sangha. Jana Sangha. Jana Sangha. Bad, bad Sangha. Jana means people, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm? Probably like ordinary Jana. Doesn't that mean like people? Yeah, worldly That's what uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur uh, brings out in his commentary here, Bhaktiloka, regarding this bad association, things that can be harmful to us. So the the Mayavadi class, the the people that are that are simply uh, putting themselves forward, but really don't have devotion at heart. But if someone has devotional at heart but still has material hang-ups, we understand that. So, distinctions made there. Coming to the last of the six items that are unfavorable. Laoyam. Cha. And. So it's and. Laoyam. So, at the end of the list, this word cha. So, Bhaktivinoda, he starts his discussion here, and he, he breaks this laoyam down into three, three categories. Restlessness, greed, and desire. And then he takes the restlessness, and he breaks that apart into restlessness of the mind and restlessness of the intellect. Um, so restlessness of the mind is pretty easy to wrap our mind around. <laughs> uh, restlessness of our mind is that restlessness is the saying accept this and reject that this is going to be pleasurable, this is going to be painful, accepting and rejecting continually. Um, and that continual acceptance and rejection is uh, simply a disturbance to our spiritual consciousness to constantly let the mind, you know, 
play around with this as if we're ping pong balls going back and forth, uh, you know, according to the mind's uh, flickering nature and desires. But how to settle the restless mind? Well, you have to get it, give it a higher, higher engagement. And then we have the intelligence. And the intelligence is, is directing the mind and the senses, but there's material intelligence and there's spiritual intelligence. So again, we come back to the same thing. Material intelligence is that intelligence which is driving the living entity towards higher enjoyments, enjoyment, and ultimately ending in liberation. So, the mind and intelligence, what Bhaktivedanta brings out is, well, as far as the mind goes, the mind is always accepting and rejecting. So, in our devotional practice, if the senses need something, we'll give them something in devotional service. Give them something, whatever it may be. If they want to see something nice, you, you, you gradually bring the senses to the point that Krishna is the center. I mean, you want to develop, we will ultimately want to develop love for the Supreme Lord. We're not like the yogis. We're not interested in this mind control stuff. You know, it's nice, but it's nice when it's in relationship with the development of love. When it's not in relationship to the development of love, the control of the mind and senses generally ends not in a softening of the heart, not in the heart becoming becoming a, a service-bound, but the heart becoming hard and 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 that hard heart is very difficult uh, to soften to the ideal of loving the Supreme and loving his associates and his environment. So false renunciation, false mind control never serves the devotee well. It just doesn't. What we need to do, we know we have to bring the mind and the senses under control. But we have to do that through a change in association, a change in our environment, and a change in the source that we seek for our enjoyment. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it happens gradually. But we can, we can push it along. We can. We can take more darshan with the deities instead of watching a movie. We can, you know, we, there's things that we can do. We don't want to do it in such a way that we break the circuitry. <laughs> there's no need for that. We don't need to become psychotic. It's just not going to serve us well. But there's, there's things that we can do. 
instead of putting on the rock music, we might want to sit down with the harmonium and try to learn a bhajan and, and sing it so sweetly that we really start to enjoy it. And it may take us a couple months, but a few minutes every day, we do this action, and all of a sudden, you know, I can do without Jimmy Morrison today. I really can. I can. I can. I can give up. Uh, you know. Uh, you know the soft parade, and maybe I can. You know, do a little of uh, a bhajan to the six Goswamis, Nana Sastra, and and enter into what these these people who had real character were about. I mean, I know Jimmy wrote some good poetry, but where was his character? So these things we can do without breaking our circuitry. With, we can gradually change, change ourselves, our seeing, our hearing, our smelling, our tasting, our touching, that can gradually be taken. This laudium, this greed, to satisfy the senses become a greed that's associated with everything Krishna. So Bhaktivinoda brings that out. The senses, they're going to need their satisfaction. So that's, that's nothing you can do. It's there. So gradually, you change it. You change it, and you'll feel satisfied. You'll feel that real softening of the heart that comes from real renunciation, which is no renunciation at all. It's because Krishna is the most beautiful. His flute song is the sweetest. He looked, you know, everything, he tastes the sweet, all these things. He is the topmost Rasa Rajas, no, no enjoyment that he doesn't have in spades. So why not go there for your enjoyment? We talk of greed, and Bhaktivinoda has one simple sentence here that just sums it up. One's material greed is vanquished in proportion to the development of the desire to become greedy to serve the Ragatmikas. It just boils down to that in the proportion that you develop that desire to serve in Vraj, those people, those great devotees, those Nichasiddhas, who are the Lord's most intimate associates, to the degree that that comes into you, the greed for enjoyment, other enjoyment leaves. That is our saving greed. We don't want to give away volumes there. We want to be greedy, but that greed will destroy the other greed. As far as the other desires, the senses, then we have the desires for liberation. And devotees really, we're not interested in this liberation. Devotees will, will be liberated it's not that the devotees aren't going to be liberated. Krishna liberates the, the you know the Mayavadis. <laughs> so 
you're going to get liberation, but it's not something that matters. Bhaktivinoda was so Krishna conscious in his household life, he saw his household become Vaikuntha. You don't need that is what happens when one reaches the higher stage stages of devotional practice. They see everything as Vaikuntha. I was amazed when I was first met Prabhupada in in, uh, in the the Brooklyn area of, of New York City and uh, I had Darshan in his room I showed him a slideshow it was just uh, Kirtan Ananda, myself and Prabhupada and, uh, and I, after that was over I uh, slideshow of what? Uh, the deities and New Vrindavan oh. this was way back in 70, 71 So after that, I had this experience that I, I looked out Prabhupada's window in Brooklyn of his room, his little room, probably, my gosh, it was half of this room. He just had a, you know, that all he had was a, a little table in there. I set up a little slide projector on it. Just a little room. But uh, I looked out the window and I just thought, I don't know if I saw it or I, I just know the experience was such that I realized this guy, because I just met him, this person, he doesn't see what I'm seeing here. And I looked back at the room and I just said, I think he's been in here talking with God. That's the way I thought. I thought this, this gentleman has been talking in this very room to God tonight. And here I am in this room, and I'm looking out, and what I know, what he's seeing out there in Brooklyn, is is worlds apart from what I this, what I see. And it wasn't really some great mystic vision; it was just a sense of the reality of the situation. That this is his spiritual. This is this is what happens when you are a spiritual person. You live in a small room, but you can talk to God, and you look out the window to the most filthiest part of New York City, and you see nothing but just the most glorious sight, vision. That's, that's a God-conscious person. I said, that would be nice to have, that kind of vision and that kind of sense and that kind of a relationship with the Supreme where you can personally have his darshan. So that's association, Janasanga, and Laoyam. And if we can become greedy to, to have that association and serve those kind of individuals, whether they be uh, Nitya Siddhas or Sadhana Siddhas, Siddha Siddha. So what's the distinction? We don't really distinguish at this stage. But we all follow the Rigatmikas. Any questions? I just wanted to make a comment. You were talking about liberation, and something came up over the past year or so about liberation as devotees were not interested to be out there merged in the oneness of the Brahma Jyoti, and it doesn't appeal to us, but like we, it seems like we have a, a strong desire for liberation in other ways. Like we don't, we hope things will come easily for us or 
we hope that there's not a whole lot of wrenches that get dropped in the gears and that everything will just come easily and Krishna will just hand it to us and that things will just happen and we, we want that and I think that's kind of like how we want liberation. We want things to come real smooth and easy. And mm -hmm. That sounds like liberation from karma. I think, what, I think what I would say in relationship, I understand what you're saying and I think the way that that's put, I really like the way that uh, Bhakti Rakshak Shudhar Dave approaches the subject, and he says we have to uh, we have to see the environment as friendly. So that includes the wrenches. Now, in the beginning, we just in the beginning you just want to make a truce. <laughs> so it's just like in, first there's a battle. We battle with the senses, and we battle with the mind, and we battle to become a little Krishna conscious, to even force ourselves to stay with the devotees when the senses are just like, get me out of here. In the beginning, it's that battle. And then eventually, we can make a truce with the environment. Well, let's just, can we just quit fighting? So we, we try to make a truce. And then we have somebody like Bhakti Rakshak Srinar who says, no, it goes beyond truce. You have, to be, you have to see the environment as friendly in all circumstance. There's nothing in this environment adverse to me. If I'm seeing anything adverse to me, then that's a fault in me. Whatever is coming, it's coming by either the grace of Krishna or as a result of something that I've done in the environment, whether it's good or bad. And then gradually the devotee sees everything is Krishna. So if something, if the wrench comes along, okay, it's what Krishna wants. All I can do is I can do my best. But the environment is all friendly. This is all coming. Except once in a while. When I hear that from Bhakti Rakshat, then I think of this one individual and one of the properties in India I believe it was in Bombay <laughs> Prabhupada had such trouble with this one individual once in a while we always have one fly in the ointment and he was talking about everybody's going back to Godhead except Mr. Nair everybody else is, but not Mr. Nair <laughs> but that the second he said that I heard that. I said, "Yeah, Doctor, this Mister Nair will be the, at the head of the line because Prabhupada's even thinking of him." But you know, so the environment we have to see it is friendly, and I'm sure Prabhupada said that with a chuckle. But the guy gave him a hard time for years. I guess just years. He was a constant uh, thorn in, in Prabhupada's side when it came to this real estate thing in Bombay. Jerry Rosh Swami's writing a book about it now. Yeah. Tell the story. Yeah. You probably heard, I think, that somebody said, Mr. Nair has died today, and he's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, 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 we want to make, first we battle, then we want to make a truce, and then eventually, as we advance in service, we should come to that kind of a consciousness that the environment is, is on my side. Krishna is really on my side. Mm. He's not. But that consciousness comes in proportion 
to the en- as the envy leaves us, that consciousness can come. Just a little short little story about that. In Boston years ago, um, this one devotee had migraine headaches and just suffered a lot. And, um, and then one day a devotee said to her, um, if Krishna stepped off the altar, if the Gopi Balava stepped off the altar and gave you his garland, you would treasure that garland more than anything. So if Gopi Balava is giving you headaches, there's really mm. no difference mm. except in your perception. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> it's all coming from Krishna. Mm. That's Krishna consciousness, and it takes us a while to get there. Yeah. <laughs> but we're working at it. We're working progress. I saw it twice the, this week. The, the road to success is always under construction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.